Uh, so there we go. You are a saint, but a sinner. Sin uh, is treason, it's lawlessness, and ultimately it grieves God. Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. I pick up just those three images of sin because we are likely to trivialise it. Okay, we start making light of the, the small sins or the regular sins uh, in our life, the things we think aren't too much of a big deal. But, but sin in the Bible is always a big deal and is never uh, excusable. So with that in mind, just round tables for five minutes or so. There's those two poles, two identities. You're a sinner and you're a saint. Which one, if either, are you more likely to kind of forget or minimise? And in what ways do we minimise sin? What are some of the sort of strategies we use to deny our, our sinfulness, play it down? Have a go around that uh, round tables for um, five minutes or so, and then we'll come back together. Okay, let's come back together there. So... Um, if, you, if you turn over to the back of the sheet, how do we make progress in fighting sin? Um, the foundation, the found, I hope I sound like a broken record, but the foundations are always the gospel. The gospel is a message for Christians as much as non-Christians. It's not just the message that gets you saved. It's the message you need to, um, to, to live in from then onwards. Um, interestingly, a couple of times in his letters, Paul talks about put, essentially putting on the gospel. Um, and he's speaking to Christians, and so Ephesians 6, the armour of God, they're all basically sort of pictures, well, aspects of the gospel, you know, the truth of the gospel, the breastplate of righteousness, all the rest of it. Um, the idea isn't that you're kind of, you're not a Christian suddenly, you know, unless you re-believe the gospel for the first time every day. It's not so much that as that we forget the gospel, and that leaves us defenceless in, in our battle for holiness. Uh, we need daily, probably more than daily, reminding that our sin has been paid for, it's in, it is basically impossible to battle for holiness if you don't genuinely believe God, is, God loves you and has forgiven you. Um, all, all fruit grows out of that soil. And so much of the battle is the battle to just believe that the, the simple truths of the gospel, I am loved, I am forgiven, I'm justified, I'm declared right with him. I am a, adopted as a, a, a daughter or a son uh, of God. Um, the gospel isn't that sin doesn't matter, or it doesn't matter, it's all okay. It's not even that God loves me in a sort of full stop, that's it, that's the whole gospel. Obviously does, God does love you. Um, rather, it, it, the gospel gets hold of both those identities. I am a sinner, but I'm a loved sinner. I'm more wicked than I ever realised, more loved than I ever dared to dream, to use um, catchphrase from a guy called Jack Miller. And we, we constantly need that to preach that word to ourselves. Otherwise, we're likely to fall either into pride or, or despair. Pride if we're going well, um, despair if we're going badly. We won't, of course, feel forgiven all the time. Um, hence the need for that, that word to come from outside of us. Um, so far, hopefully so familiar, but come to Romans 6. This is the, a great passage to have in mind as we head into the specifics over the next few weeks. At Romans 1 through 5, Paul has really laboured the point that we are, we're justified. In other words, we're not just forgiven. Very rarely are we described as forgiven in Romans or even in Paul's letters. I think maybe twice in Romans the forgiveness word is used. Much more often we're told we're declared righteous. That is not just that we haven't done anything wrong as if we're going kind of neutral, but as if we God looks at us and declares us um, 
uh, to be law keepers, as if we'd done everything we ought to have done and not done anything we shouldn't have done. It declares us right with him. And, and 135, that, that theme is hit endlessly. So chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, not by anything we do, but by faith, we have peace with God. Okay, there we go. Gospel, gospel, gospel. And then in chapter 6, he moves from the kind of outside truths about you. Your justification is outside of you because it's not your righteousness. It's nothing to do with what you do. He moves from the outside in, as it were. Uh, let me read from, from chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, it's the flesh that Paul talked about earlier, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who's died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members, as in parts of your body, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. When you become a Christian, it's not just that you're declared right with God, not just that you're justified, says Paul. It's also that you died. Your conversion was your death. But you died to sin. Verse 2. How can we who died to sin uh, still live in it? Throughout the passage, uh, time and again, um, that idea of being um, dead to sin returns. Verse 6, we know our old self was crucified with him. Uh, verse 7, one who has died has been set free. Verse 8, now if we've died with Christ. Uh, at your conversion, the, the old you died. And the old you was under the power of sin. But, but that master is, is now dead. Uh, because the old you who lived in his kingdom is dead. Instead, there is a new you alive, and the new you is not enslaved to sin. You have been set free. Now, its presence remains. Okay, this is, where, this is where we get confused, because we think, oh, okay, if Paul says, I'm, I've died to sin, and I'm, I've been set free from the power of sin, that must mean there's no sin in me, but that's not what he means. Okay, on and on, he's going to, I mean, even in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. There's no point saying, so don't let, don't sin. If you had no danger of sinning, you know, if there's no if there's no possibility of you sinning, Paul would never have to give any commands, never have to tell you not to sin. So he's not saying you're free from the presence of sin. What he's saying is you're, you've been freed from the power of sin. You no longer have to sin. And that is just that's still just gospel. It's just news. It's not a command. 
he doesn't tell you to um, die to sin. He says you have died to sin. He's telling you what God has done, set you free. And therefore, verse 11 is the, is, the, is the first command. It's really the first command in Romans. Six chapters in before he tells you to do anything, really. So, here's the first must. You also must consider yourselves, count yourselves, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Before he gets on to all the kind of, don't gossip, don't be greedy, don't, before he gets anywhere near those sort of commands, his first command is you must believe consider yourself dead to sin and alive to christ believe the news i've just told you you are a new person again if it just came naturally like that he wouldn't have to tell us to do it if all christians were just like yep sin i'm not under regime i don't have to do it anymore i'm fine there'll be no command but for now there is a command we're not in heaven yet you have to count yourself consider yourself dead to sin and only then verse 12 does he move on to the kind of slightly more specific commands don't let sin take control, therefore. Don't offer yourself to sin. Rather, offer yourself to God. And obviously later in the letter of, of Romans, he'll be even more specific, talking about you know, loving your neighbour and, and all the rest of it. So the first command in Romans are believe. Believe, not just that you are right with God and justified, but believe that you've been set free from the power of sin, because you have. Uh, Jerry Bridges um, he's, he's, he's written all sorts of wonderful books on discipleship. Um, he talks about dependent responsibility. Okay, it's a great phrase, dependent responsibility. We are responsible for our lives, our actions, our thoughts, our desires. Okay, it's, we can never blame anyone else for what we do. Okay, it's never the devil's fault or someone else's fault. Okay, how we behave is always ultimately our responsibility. But Christians are meant to live in constant dependence on the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're meant to be constantly saying... Um, Lord, you have set me free from sin. I need your spirit at work in me in order to. Um, so we never try and face sin alone. Uh, we do it by remembering that we've been transferred from Satan's kingdom to Christ's kingdom, that sin no longer reigns over us. Uh, and by the fact, by remembering too, that the Holy Spirit has set us free and filled us to give us power to put to death the sin that remains. The, the famous old illustration of this from gets reused by all sorts of Christians throughout history, so I'm going to steal it as well. Um, imagine, okay, so days of slavery, let's say American slavery. Um, imagine somebody's grown up a slave every day. They, you know, they're summoned by the master. They have to sort of trot across and do what everything he says. Get me my breakfast, get me a coffee, clean my house, all the rest of it. Just, their life is a slave. And then suddenly, civil wars, slavery abolished, they're set free. And they're walking down the street and their old master shouts to them, you know, Oi, get over here, get over here, carry my shopping. Now, their first instinct is very likely to, to head back. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. Because they spent 30 years being a slave, 30 years doing what, what What needs to happen? Well, they don't need to be set free again. They are free. Okay, there is no more slavery. What they need to do is remember, count themselves, reckon themselves free. They need to remember the good news again. I have been set free. And when they remember it, ha, huh, okay, I no longer have to serve that wicked old master. I'm free to live uh, my new life. That, that's kind of a picture of what Paul is getting at in Romans 6. Because the old you still remains, hasn't just been plucked out of you and thrown away, there will constantly be this pull back towards sin and Satan echoes the voice and makes it louder. Come back, come back, come back. 
But what you need to remember is you have been transferred, not by your power, but by Christ's. And therefore you no longer have to sin. And he has filled you with his spirit. That hymn there, um, Rock of Ages. Be, let the water and the blood from my wounded side that flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. The gospel does both. It cleanses from the guilt of sin, but also the power. And one day when Christ returns or you die, you'll be freed from the presence of sin uh, as well. So there we go. Um, last five minutes or so, round tables. Uh, as we look forward to um, some of the specifics coming up, what are some of the respectable sins? Some of the things that we tolerate more than others, you know, don't think are a big deal. And what do you think a, a life of dependent responsibility on the Holy Spirit would look like? Okay, what would be some signs that we're living in dependent responsibility on the Spirit? Five minutes or so. Over to you.